You are listening to the weekend message of Crossroads Church North Campus. Crossroads exists to make much of Jesus, and we do this by following in the way of Jesus and making disciples who love God and love others. To find out more about Crossroads, go to crossroadslive.com. Thanks for listening. Grace and peace. Okay, starting here in verse 37. It says, Woe to the Pharisees and the lawyers. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but the inside but inside you were full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you also insult us. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to beat, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you built their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundations of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about things, lying in wait for him to catch him in some things he might say. That's it. You might be seated. As you can tell, we've, uh, we've got a party ahead of us this morning. It's going to be a great time walking through some woes. Uh, warning signs are made for a reason, right? Like they're, they're placed there to, to remind us and to catch our attention that dangerous conditions lie ahead. Conditions that can affect us all. And Jesus, as he speaks with the Pharisees, he's reminding them, and in turn, he's reminding us of the dangers of doing good works just to be seen as good. Of pointing out the flaws of others just to make ourselves feel better and saying one thing while living another. A number of years ago, I was going for a hike in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and uh, it was a hike I'd, I'd done before, and this particular day, I showed up, and there was no one in the parking lot, and I had the trail all to myself, which I was excited about, just was going to be able to just kind of think and walk through the beauty of this place, um, except when I got to the trailhead, there was a new sign, one I had never seen before, uh, and it said, Danger, Mountain Lion Sighting. 
like with a date, which was like the day before that I was, I was walking on there. Uh, and it was like the sign that says, like, keep your kids with you because they'll stalk you. And like all, all the fun things that mountain lions do. And, and I was like, okay, no big deal. Like, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. And what I realized really soon on that hike was I was not fine. I was not fine at all because every crack, every noise, I was like, it's stalking me. This is how I'm going to die. This is a dumb way to die. And then I was like, well, I think I could take a mountain lion, which is a really dumb thing to think for me. And so I'm just walking through this hike, and instead of enjoying any of the beauty that's around me, I'm just thinking of what's prowling behind me and just waiting for me to be lulled into a false sense of security. Even as I was looking out over this bluff that just like was mountain after mountain going right into the ocean, and it was beautiful, I was like, I should probably head back. This is, this is, this is not, you know, Rachel's going to wonder where I am, and she's not even going to have a cell reception. You know, I'm going to die. But this is the problem with some warning signs. See, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had become so fixated on the warnings, what not to do, that they had forgotten the freedom of following God. They had forgotten the freedom that, uh, of the life that he brings to us. And many of us today here in this room, we can get lost in conversations about the things that we are to be against the people we are to be against, the shows that we're to be against, the clothes we are to be against, the teachers we are to be against, the podcasts we're to be against, the politicians we are to be against, the churches that we are to be against, that we can begin to forget what we're actually for. We can begin to forget that there is joy in following Jesus, that there's joy in having relationship with God, and there's a freedom in following after him. That we've been invited by Jesus to take in the sights, to know the dangers, but not fixate on them, but keep our eyes fixed on him, walking towards him and truly living abundantly in him. And so this morning, as we, we look at this passage and these six woes, it can be easy to hear these woes as a message for somebody else. Oh, I know someone who needs to hear that one. It can be easy to be like, well, actually, this one's not really my thing. I'm doing pretty good. Maybe there's like one out of the six that affects me. So that's pretty good odds, right? And what I want to encourage you this morning is to recognize that there's something in this for each and every one of us. There's one of these that is truly stalking us, and we can fixate on, and we can build rules around, or we can fix our eyes on Jesus and find life. And so before we begin, as we often do, I just want to start with prayer. I'm going to pray over us and for us. If you want to pray right where you are, just that God would just speak to you, clear your mind, allow you to be rooted and present in this space at this time to hear what he has for you. Feel free to pray quietly or out loud. But let me pray. Uh, Father, we come before you and before your word, and we are grateful. We're grateful for the ways in which you warn us. And while these words can seem so harsh, Lord, there's a, a hope to them because we can learn from them. We can change course if we are going towards the path of death and we can turn back towards life in you. And so would you help us to pay attention? Would you help us not to pretend in these moments? Would you help us not to put on a good face as though we have it all together, but would we recognize our need of you? Would you show us, Lord, once again, that your shoulders are broad enough to bear any of our burdens? 
that apart from you, we can do nothing. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're picking up in verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash before dinner. So Jesus is in the midst of having this conversation uh, that we've been tracking with over the last few weeks. It began with him casting out a demon. There was lots of conversation around where his power was coming from. Jesus was doing some corrective teaching. He was reminding us to stay in the light. And now at the end of this conversation, he's invited to dinner by one of the religious leaders of the day, a Pharisee. And as a reminder, because we've seen the Pharisees throughout the Gospel of Luke, a Pharisee was a part of a group of religious leaders who were intent on on studying and embodying and practicing uh, the Tanakh, the the full uh, totality of what we call the Old Testament, the the Torah, which is the law, the Nevi'im, the the prophets, and the Ketuvim, which are the writings. They, They wanted to embody all of this, and they embraced the written word, but they also had a set of oral traditions that they adhered to as well, different rules and regulations they had passed on to each other over time in order to make sure that they were truly living out the word of God. They had hard and strict codes of conduct and sought to follow the very letter of the law in all things. And so it's this Pharisee who's now inviting Jesus to join him for a meal at his table. Now, table fellowship, to sit with somebody, was was a sign of approval in some ways, but it was also inviting someone in to conversation, not just light conversation, but to to debate, to talk through philosophy, theology, uh, the things of life, the stuff of life. This is why I love a good meal and a good company. Because something happens when we're talking and we're eating together. We digest that conversation better, I think. I think we go a little bit slower. We're disarmed a little bit by a bite of a good, uh, you know, whatever that may be. A sweet dessert where suddenly your, your barriers kind of come down a little bit. And you're a little more free-flowing in your conversation. But there's something that happens in that. And here Jesus is invited in having fellowship with this Pharisee, this religious leader of the day. But before they ever get to the meal, before uh, anything even starts, Jesus offends his host by not washing. Now, as a parent, I've found this account of Jesus' life to be a little bit unhelpful because I've always reminded my kids to wash their hands before a meal, but it seems like Jesus doesn't really have my back on this one. But there's also something much larger at work here. See, hand washing was seen as an exercise in being ceremonially clean. This wasn't a part of the Hebrew scriptures. This wasn't from the Torah, the law. This was part of the oral tradition handed down. And so before eating, any self-respecting Jewish person would wash their hands in a particular way using particular water from a particular container. And they would, they would dump that water on their hand. Then they would drive their palm into their hand cleaning it. And then they would do the other hand and drive their palm in. Everything was specified of how this was supposed to go so that you would be externally clean. Now, this practice wouldn't have been seen as weird or radical or extreme, but when Jesus uh, did not practice this, it does not go unnoticed. How could a rabbi of Jesus' stature ignore something so simple? 
But notice, in this conversation, Jesus is not about to embark on some sort of diatribe and a long explanation as to why he didn't wash his hands. Instead, Jesus sees beneath the surface and points to a deeper matter. He knows that you can look the part but have an unclean heart. And so, in verse 39, the Lord said to him, speaking to the Pharisee, Now you Pharisees. Cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us all the alms, those things that are within and beyond, everything is clean for you. See, we see Jesus is done here with the adventures and missing the point. He's going to get real clear and real heated. You're worried about dirty hands when you should be worried about dirty souls. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside too? Jesus is speaking here of God, the creator and maker of all things. He's saying the outward appearance should match what is happening inside of you. And the alms that we give, the offerings that we give from the inside should match the outside. And the outside should match the inside. For as Jesus has already said. Oh, I don't know how this got in there. That's... (laughs) That's crazy. I'm sure you've already seen this picture of the Section 5 Division champs, uh, Bear Bear River Lady Bruins. Um, This has nothing to do with the sermon, uh, but I just think you should all know that these girls are awesome. And actually, three of them are in here today. We've got Ella Northrup, who was pulled up for the playoffs. Taryn Cleek, who was actually MVP of this game with 25 points and was a baller. And then the MVP of my heart, my daughter, Ella, number three. You can see her right over there. They were down 14 at halftime, and they came back to win it by two in overtime. Like that, I, I left exhausted, uh, but it was awesome, and we're still, we're, still, we're still celebrating. So way to go, Lady Bruins. Way to, way to represent. All right, now back to the sermon. Uh, sometimes I have to be able to take advantage of this platform. So thank you for humoring me in that moment. But, uh, so Jesus here is speaking to the outside things matching the inside. That there's a congruence that, that, that they're there. He's already spoken to this. We see it in Luke chapter 6. Uh, He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It's so important for us to recognize that whatever is going on inside of us, we can pretend all we want, but at some point that is going to leak out. And if what is coming out of you is something that you don't like, you don't like the way you're treating others, you don't like the way you're talking, you don't like the tone that you're carrying, you don't like that you're angry all the time, then we need to stop and pause and go, what, what's going on on the inside of me? Lord, where am I off? What have I allowed inside uh, that I just need to give over to you? And so Jesus is saying there needs to be a match here. And what I'm seeing is not matching. And so Jesus launches into three woes. And these woes, they're really warnings that danger lies ahead. Warnings to the Pharisees and and warning that they're on a path that leads to death. There's something dangerous prowling around behind you. And when Jesus sees those who should be leading others to life, when he sees those in, in authority positions, taking the name of the Lord in vain or leading people to death, he does not mince words. 
It gets very, very pointed, very heated. See, the Pharisees, they should have been building bridges to God. Instead, they're building barriers to him. And so Jesus is not going to hold back. And as we listen to this this morning, it would be easy to make a villain out of the Pharisees, out of the lawyers. But what we need to recognize is that there's a Pharisee and a lawyer in each of our hearts. And so we need to pay attention to these warnings for us. And so Jesus begins with the first woe, 42. But woe to you, Pharisees. For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now what's Jesus getting after here? He's saying the Pharisees, uh, they gave a tenth, a tithe of everything they had down to the spices in their cabinet. They're like, they're very, very meticulous. They were good givers in what was required of them. But it wasn't being done out of devotion. It was being done out of a sense of duty. A requirement, but also hoping that their good actions would be seen by others. And here Jesus is warning us. As he's warning them, woe to you who check the box, play the part, but have no heart. You can do all these things for the Lord, but have no devotion to him. He's saying you're following the rules all the time on things that don't matter, but the things that do matter, you're neglecting them. See, the Pharisees were good at giving of their things, but they were not good at giving of themselves. They meet the minimum requirement, but there's no joy, there's no generosity, there's no acknowledgement of where their provisions come from. See, Scripture reminds us that when we give, it's, it, it's, a, it's a kingdom uh, characteristic. When we, we, we're generous people, the, the kingdom of God is, is generous. And so when we give of ourselves, of our time, our talents, our treasure, we should be giving from a, a joyful heart. God's not looking to pry your resources from you. He has enough, trust me. He, he doesn't need what you have. And when we speak of giving, the intention is never to motivate you here by guilt. The intention is always to foster a generosity and an openness to participating in the kingdom of God and what he's asking of you. Some of you have no issue giving of yourself and serving. And, and don't hear me diminish that. I don't want to diminish that at all. Uh, but the second uh, you're asked to give financially, you can suddenly begin to act as though God might not be as all-powerful as you think he is. Right? You, you get real uh, closed-handed. Some of you, you're great at giving of the things that you have. You're great at giving financially, but to actually invest time and show up, well, ah, that's, that's mine. I'll give you this, but not this. What God is saying, all of it needs to match. There needs to be a congruence. You need to be giving of yourself generously from what he has poured into you. If we're going to give of our time, our talents, and our treasures, then let's do so with, with joy. That's acting in gratitude towards God. Recognizing that he's brought us from death to life. And all the things that we hold in our hands anyway have been given to us by him in the first place. See, the Pharisees were meeting the, the requirements of the law, but they did not act with the heart of God towards others. The prophet Micah reminds us well of, of what's required of us. 
In Micah 6, it says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Is that what's required? I have to give all this stuff? No, verse 8, he's told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to do the right thing, even when no one else is paying attention. Do the right thing because it is the right thing. To love kindness. God's steadfast love, his hesed is unending towards us and we get to pour that out into others and we're to walk humbly with God, understanding our position in him and under him. Jesus would actually summarize all the laws uh, even more simply than this. He'd say, you just need to love God and love others. And the way you're going to show your love of God is by loving others. And the way you love others will show your love for God. This is a cyclical thing. So woe to you who check the box, play the part, but have no heart. Woe to you who just go through the motions so that you can be seen. Instead, we are called to be generous in hand and heart. We're to be generous with the things that God has placed in our stewardship and not to withhold them, but to use them for his kingdom and his glory as he sees fit. But Jesus isn't done. He's just getting warmed up, really. Verse 43, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. You love to sit front row. You love for everyone to see you in your robes. You love when everyone's like, hey, Pharisee. You love the greetings. Now, this one can be one that feels really far from us. But honestly, I think this is one that lurks in the hearts of all of us. The Pharisees loved their position, but they'd forgotten their purpose. They loved their position, but they'd forgotten their purpose. Their aim As religious leaders, their aim is to build bridges to God. Instead, they were creating barriers to him. A few years back, we were walking through downtown Grass Valley, and it was was just like a gorgeous day, a little bit like today. Sun was shining after it hadn't been shining for a while, which just feels real good. And, and we're walking downtown Main Street, and everybody's out and walking, and we had just run into a family from the church that we were talking with, and it was super encouraging conversation, because you know, in our time, town, anywhere you go, you're going to run into somebody, and I love that about our town. Some of you are like, I don't, but it's great. I love it, because we can't hide, like we just get to be with each other all the time, and, and we're walking down the street, and all of a sudden, this guy comes riding by on a bike, and he's like, hi, pastor. And, you know, and I'm like, we are in a Hallmark movie. This is amazing. Like, this is a small town. And then I'm like, wait, there's always a tragedy in a, in a Hallmark movie. Like, like holding on to Rachel. I'm like, you don't, don't dare make me the, the pastor widower. Anyway, uh, but it was just this moment where it's just, and, and I felt overwhelmed, uh, honestly, uh, at, at just where we are and, and, and what we get to do. Because I, I will tell you, I love, I love being your pastor. I I genuinely, I love it. I love you guys. I love watching you love each other, serve each other. I love watching you in our community and the way you reach out and the way you care for others. I love watching new people find their way into our doors and be welcomed in. I I love it. And, And for me, it's never been about a title. 
that you call me pastor. In some ways, I've actually pushed back against that because my fear has always been that that creates this elevation or this separateness that I've, I've never wanted to feel. And then the other side of that, there's a good thing that pushes that away. There's another side of me that also knows that there's a part of me that does like a title and does like to be looked up at and does like to be thought of well and does like to you know have a, a position and, and 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 that's not where I want to live or where any of us want to live because that's not the purpose. That's just a position. Our purpose is to bring glory to God. And these Pharisees they really enjoyed the title and they'd forgot their calling. They really liked the position but they forgot their purpose. They were to be building bridges to Jesus, and instead they're building barriers and elevating themselves. So again, you're thinking, like, this doesn't really affect me. But Jesus is saying, woe to you who use God for your own glory. See, the temple priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, their purpose was to be and to bring glory to God. And again, you might be thinking, here's a woe I dodged. I'm not a priest. I'm not a scribe. I'm not a Pharisee. This does not matter to me. But what I find so interesting is the Latin word for priest is pontifex, which means bridge builder. I love that. It's a bridge builder. Priests, religious leaders, Pharisees, they are to be building bridges to God. Again, not barriers, building bridges to God. And again, you're like, where's this going? Well, You might be thinking again, I'm not a priest, I'm not a pastor, but you're wrong. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of the priesthood of all believers. You are a part of the bridge builder society of all believers. Peter reminds us of this when he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As as priests of the kingdom, bridge builders of the kingdom, you have been pulled from darkness into his marvelous light. You have received the mercy of God. Now you get to extend the mercy of God. You are bridge builders to God's mercy, his love, his light. Your aim is to make much of Jesus always if you've said yes to him. So woe to you who use God for your own glory, who commandeer his name for your own purpose, your own agenda, your own platform. It's not yours. None of it was yours. It's all his. And we are built and made to bring him glory. And you will find most satisfaction in life when you are living in a way that is bringing glory to him. So instead of using God for your own glory, instead live for God and the good of others. Live for God and the good of others. But again, Jesus is just uh, moving along here. Woe to you, verse 44, if you are, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk all over them without knowing it. To come in contact with death, even unknowingly, was to be considered unclean in, in the Jewish tradition. 
Numbers uh, 19, 16. Whoever in the open field touches someone who was killed with a sword or who died naturally or touches a human bone or a grave shall be unclean seven days. And so Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, is telling them, you are like walking graves. Anyone in proximity to you is made unclean simply by being near you. No matter how clean things appear on the outside, no matter how pressed your robes are, the stench of death cannot be hidden. My brother was in his kitchen when he smelled something awful, which, you know, can happen with a garbage disposal. And so uh, he and his wife, they like scoured everything and it all looked pristine, like shining, like where is this coming from? They took out all the trash, they cleaned all the normal places and like still like the smell wasn't getting less, it was like getting thicker. And they're like, what is going on? And so they're like trying to figure out what's going on because everything looks fine. And they kind of narrowed it down to the dishwasher. They're like, something's off here. And so they open the dishwasher, they look and say, there's nothing there. So like, I think we have to take the dishwasher out. So they take the dishwasher out only to discover that a possum had made its way under the floorboards, got stuck and died and was simply decaying. And so when they removed that, the smell suddenly got much stronger, much more pungent and was just a beautiful episode in their life. But it's such a reminder that on the outside, everything can look great. But if, but if there's death, it will begin to show itself. It will begin to reveal itself no matter how polished we try to keep ourselves, no matter how put together we try to appear uh, when we show up here on Sunday or we show up out in the community. If there's death in your life, it will begin to leak out. And the Pharisees, brought the stench of death with them wherever they went. That's what Jesus is saying. So woe to you who bring death with you wherever you go. There are times in our lives where our efforts to be holy are so based on our own abilities that we don't even realize that the things that we're striving for are actually killing us and those around us. Parents, how many of you with good intentions good intentions have put so much pressure on your kids to be good or to succeed that you've been unknowingly adding a burden to them that they feel they can never live up to, that they can never match the expectations that you've put on them and they are just drowning in it. How many of us in our own striving, we're doing all the right things, we're checking all the right boxes because we're so scared that if we stop, we'll have no worth, no aim, no purpose, no value, and we're convinced that we are the sum total of all of our actions, all of our busyness, and this is death within us. We are still trying to earn our salvation. We are still trying to overcome the sin in our lives. We're still trying to do when what we need to recognize is what has been done for us in Jesus. Because this doing, this death can can create a vortex that pulls everyone down. That you show up into a, a setting and you can just suck the life out of a room unknowingly. And sometimes we're blind to it. That we just show up and complain about everything. Or Eeyore, wherever we go. And everyone's like, oh. So woe to you who bring death with you wherever you go. 
Instead, bring life. Bring Jesus to every space you are in. Now, this works two ways. One, it works for those who are around you that you're bringing his light and his life in wherever you go. But also, it's a great reminder for us when we are feeling death all around us that Jesus is with us. He's participating with us in the affliction and the pain, the sorrow that we're walking through, the the, the areas of death in our life that he can bring life to. We're reminding ourselves that we're not the answer, but we know the one who is. And so we bring life, we bring Jesus into every space that we are in. And so Jesus, he's speaking to this Pharisee who's invited him over for dinner. This Pharisee's probably thinking, well, this did not go as planned, right? Like all my friends are around and I I did not think you'd be embarrassing me. And as Jesus is speaking to the Pharisee, it appears that he hit a little too close to home with some of the other guests that were sitting around the table. And in verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Now, I have to be honest. If I were one of the lawyers, this is not the moment I would have inserted myself, right? As this conversation's going on, and it's like there's this pregnant pause, I wouldn't think like, I think he probably has nice things to say about me. No, I would have stayed out of it. It's a little bit like one of my kids is getting in trouble, and another one of them jumps in and starts talking to him like, you stay out. Like, there's no life here for you, right? But the lawyer cannot help himself. Insert cliche joke here about lawyers. Um, And Jesus, you know, being kind and gracious as he is, not wanting the lawyer to feel left out, he now gives him a list of three woes as well and just goes after him. R. Kent Hughes, uh, he reminds us that Jesus' woes to the Pharisees were swipes at their hypocritical religious practices. Whereas the woes that fell on the lawyers had to do with the way they abused the Torah, God's words. Uh, and, and he, oh, sorry, I read the wrong quote. That was my fault. I got ahead. This is a good one too. The Pharisees were religionists, members of the religious party uh, that enforced the legal code. This is the difference between uh, the, the Pharisee and the, the lawyers. The lawyers, scribes, or experts in the law, these three terms, they're interchangeable. Uh, were the codifiers of the law. They, they were the people who built hedges around it by encrusting it with the myriads of extra regulations. And so uh, they, they were just adding to uh, the law of God, the Torah of God. And, and, and we have to remember that the, the Torah, uh, it was meant to be a trellis uh, that gave strength to a life lived in the direction of God. And instead, we're seeing it being used here as a tool of oppression. And so Jesus speaks to these. He says, woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you who burden people but bear nothing. The danger of our traditions and our experiences is that we can start to make them our standard. We can interpret our way of doing things as the only way of doing things. And we can elevate our way over things above God's way of doing things. That's why it's so important for us to know the truth of Scripture and to come under that. To take all of our our preferences, our feelings, and sift them through the Word of God. So we're not just led by each of our whims, but we're led by timeless truth that God has given to us. 
I can tell you that as, as we come and we gather in this place week in, week out, we always want to pull from the truth of God. We want this to stand uh, as over everything that we do. All of us come underneath the authority of Scripture. But our aim in proclaiming this truth is never to, to leave you walking out of this room with more on your shoulders or more things to do or more boxes to check, more appearances to keep up. Because all of us walk in here with enough of that already. All of us walk in here knowing the burden of our sins, the, the, the effects of our failures and our, our, our faults. We all bear the burdens of our sins, and we recognize we can't fix them ourselves. See, and this is the beauty of what Scripture points us to. This is the beauty of what Jesus is pointing us to, that he alone can bear our burdens, and we are to build bridges to the burden bearer. We're to take people to, to Jesus, not build more barriers and more rules or if you want to follow Jesus, you have to do this and this. No, if you want to follow Jesus, you come to him, you proclaim him, you keep your eyes fixed on him. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The second we start adding to Jesus, we're given a false gospel. And the lawyers were drawing hedges around the law of God with all their regulations they stacked rules and expectations and burdens on those around them. And then when, when people couldn't live up to them, they just were waiting to call them out on their mistakes. Now, if you set a trap for someone to fall, do you get mad at them when they do? The intent of God's law, again, was to be a trellis that supported and gave strength to a life lived towards God. The danger is turning it into a tool of oppression. And I, I so wish that that was something we could talk about like then and there. That we don't do that anymore. We never weaponize the Bible. We never pick and pull for our own pleasure. We never do that. No, we, we're still seeing that all the time. That we can slice this in a way that it, it meets our need, my preference, uh, my form of worship, my form of gathering. Like what is, how do we just let this stand on its own? How do we let Jesus be Jesus and not the form we want him to take? See, we can be quick to point out people's flaws and walk away. They're really good snipers. We take our shots and no one even knows where they're coming from, but they're like, man, that didn't feel good. But if you're going to point out a mess, we better be willing to get our hands dirty and help with that mess. Most of all, we must be willing to point them to the one who can bear their burdens. So woe to you who burden people but bear nothing. Heap piles on their shoulders and walk away. No, instead, carry others to the burden bearer. Now, this is so important, that word carry. It's not saying that you are now the burden bearer. No, you are taking that person to Jesus. You know you can't be the answer, the solution to that person's problem, but you know the one who is, and so you're going to walk with them. You're going to come alongside with them. You're going to enter into the mess, because if you remember well, you were a mess at one point too. And Jesus entered into your mess and walked with you. And maybe he did that through people within your community, friends or family that came alongside you and helped to point you and carry you to Jesus over and over again when you thought, this is just too hard. This is just not working. I just can't do it anymore. But you had someone there with you. If instead of just pointing our fingers all the time, could you imagine if we stepped into the mess with people and then pointed them to Jesus? Jesus continues, 
Verse 47, woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send the prophets and the apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. So woe to you who build monuments with the blood of the prophets. Jesus here is speaking to what the lawyers had borne witness to. And when he speaks of uh, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, he's saying the first martyr to the last of the prophetic martyrs in the Hebrew scriptures, we see blood shed over and over again, people proclaiming the truth of God, and yet they are shut down over and over again, and you are still doing the same. And their blood is still on your hands, is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the lawyers here in front of him. Because you, you understand the responsibility that comes with, with being a witness to something. They had all of the Hebrew scriptures in front of them. They knew it chapter and verse. They, they could memorize large portions. They would uh, debate about these things all day long. They had monuments of men that had spoken on God's behalf and tombs still built. You can still go and visit some of those sites in Israel to this day. They lived to see John the Baptist prepare the way for Jesus. And now they're sharing a meal with the Messiah They have the one that they long for and hope for sitting in front of them, and they still do not see him. Instead, they only see the rules that he is breaking, the rules that they made. And once again, blood is on their hands because they are are missing what God is showing them. And the question often gets asked, if Jesus were to walk into our midst, what would our reaction be? If he showed up into this gathering today, what would our reaction be? Would we quickly escort him out of there because we would assume he's delusional? Would we recognize the voice of our good shepherd? Would we know the word well enough to see that it aligns? Or instead, would we gather stones? Let us learn from the mistakes of those who've gone before us. Let us heed the words of Jesus and not just know them, but to live them, practice them, build our lives on them. So woe to you who build monuments with the blood of prophets. Instead, build your life on the blood of Jesus. Build your life on the blood of Jesus. It is his sacrifice that paves the way for life. He has paid your debt in full. He has given it the entirety of his life so that you can have life in him. So build your life there. It creates equal ground really fast when you recognize that you're a broken mess that has been rescued and redeemed by Jesus. So when you see the broken mess of other people's lives, it allows you to be gracious because such such were, were you. But you've been washed, you've been redeemed, you've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. Jesus has one more, and he goes out swinging. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Woe to you who hide the way of life, paving the path to death. Paving the path to death. This is, this is what Jesus is getting after. You've hindered the understanding of Scripture. Because this key to understanding is what Jesus is referring to here. The, the, the word of truth has been 
pointing you to the path of life and you are, you're distorting it. You've built a wall around the word and in so doing, you've kept people from life. And we can be just as guilty. I can be just as guilty. It's amazing to me that we live in a day and age where we have more access to books about the Bible. We can listen to more sermons about the Bible. We can do more studies about the Bible. And we can watch stories or stream stories about the Bible all the time, all without ever opening our Bibles. And and, and I love the resources that we have, but there's a, a... a danger when we are disconnected from this truth on our own. We start to live vicariously through the sources and the relationships of God of others. We cannot lose contact with the truth. Because what so easily happens is we begin to elevate tradition, preferences, and our experience over the word of God. When we don't let this form us, we will begin to form it. And at times we can become so enamored with teachers and preachers. And yes, we have much to learn and I'm grateful for the various voices that we have, but we cannot substitute someone else's relationship with Jesus for our own relationship with Jesus. We must always be ready to share the hope we have in Jesus. And in order to do that, we must know the hope that we have in Jesus and why. Not just the story of somebody else, but like, what is your story? How has God met you? How has he rescued you? How has he redeemed you? The lawyers, the scribes, they were experts in the law. Again, they could tell you right where everything was. They could quote you things. They could expound on the meaning and all the required practices to stay well within the bounds of the law, but they had forgotten what drew them to the law in the first place. See, we don't come to the law because we love the law. We come to the law because we love the God who gave us His living truth. It's the living God who created us and and made us to be known by him. It's the living God who has spoken to us throughout the millennia to reach his people, to rescue his people, to guide his people, who in these last days he sent his son, Jesus, the exact radiance of his being, that we may know him and find life in him. If following Jesus becomes just an intellectual exercise, devoid of hearts devoted to him, then woe to us, But we've lost our way. We've lost our hope and we've lost our joy. So woe to you who hide the way of life, paving the path to death. Instead, clear hurdles and pave paths to Jesus. Without him, we have nothing. With him, we have everything. So look to Jesus and live. Don't create barriers to Jesus with your life. Build bridges to Jesus with your life. Learn from these warnings. Learn from these woes and choose life in him. And may we, as a people, be generous in hand and heart. May we live for God and the good of others. May we bring life, Jesus, to every space that we're in. May we carry others to the burden bearer. May we build uh, our lives on the blood of Jesus and may we clear hurdles and pave paths to him. Father, even in saying this, we know we cannot do it on our own. And Lord, many in this room, myself included, We know the ways in which we've allowed death or darkness into our life. And we ask that you would shine brightly, uh, removing it. God, would we be a people uh, that's devoted 
heart, mind, body to you. That we would hear your word and practice it. Not just know it, but live it and embody it. Lord, I pray that uh, throughout this day that one of these woes would, would become personal. That we see where it has its hooks in us, the danger uh, of, of where we could allow this to consume us and distract us and pull us away from you. Would you make that clear? And would you once again point us back to the path of life? Lord, we need you. We need your guidance. And in these moments, as we continue in our worship and song to you, as we uh, open the communion table, where we partake, and all those who say yes to Jesus can partake of that table, the body and the blood that you, uh, you gave that we might have life in you, would it be a reminder to root ourselves in you? that we who are followers of, followers of you who are part of the priesthood of all believers would build bridges to you in all that we do. Jesus, we thank you that the answer is not on our shoulders, it is on yours. And you are faithful and true to point us to the life that is available in you. Help us not to be distracted by the darkness and in these warnings, Lord, would we not fixate on rules and regulations, but would we keep our eyes locked on you, living abundantly and fully. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we run to you because we need you. We need your embrace. We need your guidance, your strength, your love. And Father, as we have received, would we so give from what you have given us? Would we not withhold your goodness? Lord, would we not place barriers unnecessarily in front of you? But with all of who we are, would we live lives to your glory for the good of others? Would we be living signposts of your goodness, your kingdom, and the life that is possible in you? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At the end of this chapter, it says, He went away from there, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. We see, and we will continue to see as we walk through the gospel of Luke, that the opposition is now getting stronger, that people are pushing back on who Jesus is and what he is about. The same things that we will experience as we follow after him. And so next week, we'll continue in our study, and we'll look at this idea of how easy it is to lose sight of who we're living for. We can allow the voices of others to become louder than the voice of God, but we, we must maintain our eyes on him. And so as we leave from here today, may we fix our eyes on Jesus. May we build bridges to him, not barriers. May we be generous in hand and heart. May we live for God and the good of others. May we bring Jesus to every space we are in. May we carry others to the burden bearer. May we build our lives on the blood of Jesus. And may we clear hurdles and pave paths to him.
And may you know his grace and may you experience his peace. God bless you. And we'll see you next week.